Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what Brave Feminine Leadership means and does it need to change. All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership, our founder series. I am incredibly excited to welcome Donna Latia today. Donna, fantastic to have you join our conversation. So excited to be here. Thank you. So before we jump into the conversation, I'm just going to share a little bit about you um, for the audience, and then I'll hand over to you. So excuse me if I look down while I'm reading this. So Donna Latier is the co-founder and CEO of Gardenuity, a company bringing gardening experiences to the wellness economy across the U.S., through personalized container gardens. Donna spent 20 years in leadership in areas of operations, brand marketing and product development with over 20 years of retail experience spanning both public and private companies. Donna's ability to draw connections between data trends and consumers ensures a well-rounded perspective on successful business opportunities. Through Gardenuity, Donna wants to invite everyone to experience I grew that moments that come from nurturing something over time, be it a plant, a child, or one's own well-being. Donna grew up in Singapore, London, Alaska, California, and finally settled in Dallas, where she lives with her husband and two daughters, one of whom is a Special Olympics gold medal winner. Donna speaks regularly at entrepreneurial business programs, and I'm delighted to have her here today, and I'm delighted to learn about Gardenuity. So welcome again. Thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to be here and visit with you. So Donna, for people in our audience who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, let's just jump straight into your story. So, you know, let's let's talk about who you are and why you are who you are. Okay. Um, of course, it depends on the day, I guess. But, you know, I moved around so much and I think that shapes who you are. Um, I have always been, whether it was in Singapore, Alaska, Scotland, London, wherever it was, we adapted to the culture. And interestingly enough, the first thing my mother would do when we moved to a new house, which was often, was she had this, I think she paid 25 cents for it, a little plaque that said, bloom where you are planted. And that is the first thing she would hang up in the house. And it she taught us, she and, and my dad said, you know, we're here, doesn't matter if we're here for a year or for five years, you know, this is our home uh, and let's go and let's grow. And I think that certainly has impacted who I am. Um, I, you know, I can go into a lot of new situations and try to figure it out. And I don't wait to be asked uh, to grow. Sometimes, you know, that it's just your job and you have to go. What a beautiful experience. I mean, so many people would have that experience of moving um, constantly um, and not have that beautiful, uh, what a smart woman. Your mother sounds like a very smart well, woman. And she never left Texas growing up, literally, um, and then just started moving around. And we always had a family vote. Okay, you know, your dad's been offered a promotion. We're going to vote. What we didn't realize at the time was dad's vote counted like five times. 
my sister always voted to stay because she did not like new situations. And I always voted to go because I thought it was pretty cool. And I remember uh, we were living in Yorba Linda, California, when we got um, found out we were moving to Singapore. And it happened to coincide with our social studies class studying Far East Asia. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy cow, I'm moving there. <laughs> so we really did look at it as an adventure. Fantastic. So um, tell us all about your journey then. So, you know, did you always have an idea of what you wanted to do or did you fall into your career? How did all of this happen? You know what? I can look back and I was the kid who, you know, in Alaska had a summer haunted house and made people pay to come through. The lemonade stand was always trying to earn extra money, um, never through babysitting, everything but. Um, and. I was just very fortunate. I really liked uh, school and I liked learning kind of different uh, things in the higher education area and went to work actually right after um, university and didn't know what I wasn't supposed to know or what I wasn't supposed to do. So I went to work for Neiman Marcus and I actually, my office, they had turned a dressing room into an office, but I was like, okay, this is the real deal. I have an office. Um, And I remember my third day on the job, I actually had read the book, Minding the Store by Stanley Marcus. Uh, During university, I never shopped at Neiman's because I couldn't afford it. Um, But I called him up and said, I'm brand new and I would love to take you to lunch. I was 22. I mean, I would never <laughs> to do that now, but I, I'm, I don't think I thought it through because growing up all over the place, we met heads of state. We went to embassies. I mean, it was just kind of what you did. And so he graciously said yes. And I remember, you know, sitting downtown at a fancy lunch in my pantyhose and my black blazer. Um, and he, he really embarked on me that if you can create an experience for the consumer, then you will win because it's, it is the experience that keeps them coming back and makes them feel like this is their store. They might not buy every single time, but this is their store. And you remember experiences. And to this day, that has served as a platform for every position I've had. Um, I think that, you know, different things happen in your life and career that kind of mold who you are. You have to be open to listen to them. Some are good, some are bad. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I being the mother, um, you mentioned a special Olympian athlete. You know, when Jillian was born and they said she wouldn't live past five, I I was overwhelmed. I mean, I didn't really know what this journey was going to be about. And I actually... I remember thinking, I, you know, God, I'm not your gal. <laughs> I think you made a boo-boo. This is not a journey I, th- I can do justice to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you dig deep in perseverance. And, you know, raising a child is not unlike starting a business. There are, um, you know, you have to traverse a lot. You have to learn from every single situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to keep the faith. <laughs> so have you always worked? Always. Yeah, I worked in high school um, in Singapore and I worked in London um, at Pizza Hut. I think everybody should do a stint as a waitress or a waiter 
is eye-opening on surface. Um, and it, uh, and then right out of school, uh, worked through college, but then right out of school, started working and have never not worked. Yeah. And you have two daughters, as we said. I, two, yeah. And they're only 17 months apart. Um, and they're great kids. They teach me different lessons every day. Um, and, you know, I think a lot about my older daughter being the sister of somebody with special needs and she learned different lessons than I learned. Um, you know, she learned patience in a whole new way. Um, and we both get to witness perseverance, um, and resiliency. What category did your daughter win her gold medal in? Track and field. She did the 50 yard. They, she's in a walker and she went, um, 50 meters, I guess. And, you know, she is as competitive as I am. So when the gun goes off, she goes and she trained and trained and trained. And I really actually believe every human being should see Special Olympics just one time in their life because it changes your perspective. I mean, these incredible, extraordinary human beings work so hard, but are filled with joy. And that joy is not because the cameras are on them or because they're going to get a scholarship or they're going to get drafted. It's true joy and self-fulfillment. I earned this. And I think that's a life lesson. Mm, beautiful, Donna. Donna, um, so let's let's come back to your, um, I love your story about Stanley Marcus and uh, ringing up and inviting him to lunch. Where did your career go from there? Uh, had just stayed in retail, was at Neiman's for a long time, met one of my mentors who I still think uh, of and visit with today, Jeremiah Patrick Murphy. Um, you know, I think if you look at every boss you've ever had, you can um, take away lessons that they taught you that become foundational principles of the kind of leader you want to be. Um, and I remember being, you know, 23, 24 working literally during the holiday, 16 hour days. And I walked into his office one morning and was giving him the numbers from the night before and passed out, just fainted right there on the spot. And this is before, you know, Uber Eats and, you know, all the delivery services. So he had somebody drive me home. And about three hours later, somebody knocked on the door and he had hot soup delivered. And that has been pivotal to me um, as a leader, I mean, that's before it was just convenient. You know, I have it easy. I can push an app and send Tiff's treats. He had to actually put thought into it. Mm. Uh, and so I think that that kind of thoughtful gesture goes a long way. Absolutely. So at what point in your career did you decide that you were going to, you know, leave retail and start your own business? Oh, gosh. Um, I was traveling um, probably about three days a week. And, uh, you know, I thought I want to try something new. Um, and I started a home furnishings catalog company. Um, my first entrepreneurial venture knew nothing. Um, really didn't know what I was doing at all, but I liked product development and I was having to shop from catalogs all the time. This is really before a huge push on the internet. Right. Yes. And so I, I said, well, I can do this. And I knocked on doors and raised a little bit of money 
and put a catalog together. And the first catalog we put together was terrible. Um, it was the worst thing ever. Um, and then I kind of stepped back, regrouped and got on board and we got it, you know, um, 15 million in sales and then hit the 2006 financial crisis mm -hmm. and just couldn't raise any more money, whether it was because I was a woman or I was in retail um, or timing. I mean, my it was just hard to raise money. So ended up selling um, and went to work for the group that bought it was profitable within three months. Um, and then, and that's really where I started working with my co-founder, Julie Eggers, uh, and recognized she's way smarter than me. And so we jokingly say, where you go, I go, because <laughs> she's that great. And I think that that's one of the things you have to be able to do, figure out who's smarter than you, who has a skill set that you don't, um, who do you trust no matter what, um, and I think we have a leadership team that fills all of those uh, characteristics today. Do you have that first catalog somewhere? I do. And it is well, I think I do. Literally, there was a wicker bench on the front and it was so poorly positioned. It's floating. I mean, <laughs> like it looks like it's, it's so bad. I didn't know enough about printing, photography. Um, the second one was really good. And we developed some strategies on how to manage cash through that, um, that I think are, you know, important lessons in cataloging today. Um, and I've taken all those lessons. So from there was offered just a really amazing CMO job. Um, and I literally said, well, I don't go anywhere without Julie. <laughs> and they said, okay. And so we went um, and, it was an interesting learning experience for me. wasn't really the right industry, mm -hmm. um, but I met some great people. And from there, um, we came up with the idea for Gardenuity. It was not what it is today, um, but it was an inkling of an idea. So tell us about that idea, um, because I love Gardenuity, such an interesting mix of data and AI and wellness. And so tell me, tell me about that. Um, and then let's get back into more of your story. Okay. Well, gardening, Gardenuity means ingenuity and gardening. And we have really brought together technology and horticultural sciences with human experiences. And so we've made gardening accessible and successful to everybody. We'll celebrate over 2 million harvests across the country this year, which is really exciting. But we recognize that it is the experience of gardening that reaps so many wellness benefits. And I think it's for decades, people have talked about mental, physical, and community health that you can really get through actually gardening, but gardening can be intimidating and 90% of first-time gardeners fail. So when we looked at the data, we thought, okay, we can fix this with a fresh approach uh, to technology and with um, some really smart horticultural scientists. And are you a gardener yourself? I am now. <laughs> I was not a master gardener. I did. Um, I really loved growing hydrangeas and I did flower beds, um, but I did not do successfully herbs or vegetables or indoor plants. Um, and, and so I recognized I wanted to, you know, make it work for me, make the experience enjoyable 
and and that's really what we focused on my brother would be having a little bit of a laugh i actually need you to come to australia donna with your product um i'm okay at gardening now but you know in my 20s i i really wasn't and i loved the look of it you know i wanted to have all these beautiful things around me and my brother would say to me every year let's hold a moment's silence for all of the plants that have gone before <laughs> what the the challenge is the this is a great example of the industry did not keep up with the realities of how we live today. I think 80% of indoor gardening containers do not have drainage. Well, that's the kiss of death for indoor plants. And so people weren't personalizing for the plants needs. And yeah. I think that's where we stepped in and that's where data can help. So when you and I first connected about this, you shared with me that it's a little bit like a dating site, right? So how does that? <laughs> well, we actually, um, when we realized technology, the biggest challenge with people failing was they, you know, planted the wrong plant at the wrong time in the wrong soil and fed it with the wrong nutrients. And, you know, when you start a new project, you can end up with 30 Google tabs open at the top and it becomes overwhelming. So we thought, surely we can do this. So um, I had not been on a dating site. So I actually joined about 10. Um, I was happily married, uh, but I wanted to see what the experience was like. And so once we kind of figured out the experience, you know, I can come up with this idea and Julie can get it built. Um, and so that's how Match was born. And Match actually integrates through the selection process, through um, combining the right farm partners to the collection, co combining the collection to make sure they're companion plants. Um, and then the right content. So you're really getting information about what you're growing and then aligning the right nutrients, making sure that they match. So it's match one as it is today, really customizes the experience. Match two becomes more engaging. And that's what we're working on right now. That is fantastic. It's really interesting to me in some of these conversations. We actually owe a lot to dating sites in terms mm -hmm. of business opportunities and training and um, there was one of the one of the people I interviewed in the first series who she needed to improve her networking skills and she went off and did speed dating and kind of you know uh, yeah learnt, learnt on steroids kind of thing how to um, you know just quickly meet people and get through that kind of small talk kind of phase um, and now you've joined a dating site to understand the experience to build your business. So there's something in there for people. Uh, dating so that, should, that should be a lesson to any founder getting ready to raise money. Practice on a speed dating because if you can get your pitch down in on speed dating, I guess you have, what, two or three minutes or something. Man, mm. if you can get the pitch down in two or three minutes, that'd be good practice. That's funny. So, um, yeah, we may have come up with something. So, you yeah, know, yeah. Cool. yeah, speed dating. Um, <laughs> let's talk about funding and getting yep. access to funding. And I think when you and Julie kicked off Gardenuity, you were 50, right? Yes. Yep. So yep. let's let's talk about the, the funding rounds and some of those uh, conversations that you had along the way. Okay. Um, you know, when you have an idea, and we did friends and family, and really they were betting on us because we didn't have the technology. We didn't even have the kits. We didn't have the horticultural sciences down. We just had this idea. Um, and, and a lot of 
passion and data on the gardening category, the home gardening category. Um, so friends and family round is a little bit easier because they're smaller increments and you know, they're, they're betting on you. Um, when you get farther along, you know, it gets a little more challenging. Um, and some of the things that have come up are, you know, they ask, oh, do you have grandchildren? Um, which is kind of asking a woman who's a little chubby, are you pregnant? Like, yeah, you just don't do that. <laughs> um, I mean, I've had uh, some, a woman actually say, is it like not, is it okay for you to be away from your special needs child? Like, really? Yeah. And, and I mean, when people, you know, somebody asked if I was going to be around for series B, like I'm so old, I might not live. And so my tactic is just to be quiet and let them stew in their own stupidity. I mean, because it, I never have great comebacks right away. It's usually the next day in the car. Yeah. Um, and so the silence kind of says it all and let them follow up with a question. You know, I think age is a number and, you know, we have a really young team here um, who are bringing a totally, I mean, new perspective to us. Mm -hmm. um, so funding is, funding's hard. Um, I, I think, it, you know, people say, oh gosh, it's technology. I raised a hundred million dollars in a week. You know, that, that then more power to you, but a lot of companies, it's a lot harder. And so, you know, with every no, I'm not afraid to say, what would it take next round for you to come running after me with a check? What are the, what are the benchmarks you want to see? Some people just don't get the idea of gardening. Some people don't like consumer goods. Some people don't want to be in the wellness space. Um, and, you know, some people might not just like me. I mean, maybe they're nervous about me being a woman, me being, um, you know, really having this technology foundation and not being from the tech space. Um, so whatever it is, it's okay. Uh, I kind of look at no as not now. Um, and every no is okay. You know, I learned from it and then we move on and we'll, you know, it's, it, you have to find the right partners. We've walked away from some dollars that weren't right. They didn't feel right. Uh, and I think that that was the right move. It's such a great conversation, isn't it? If you are loving the conversation and you want to hear more about how you can take the next step in your career, come and find out about our masterclasses. Join our website at bravefeminineleadership.com. See you there. So... As you've gone through all of this, and I think you and I connected about some of this, um, and also I'm just thinking about the conversation you said with Stanley Marcus earlier, where you just picked up the phone and said, let's go and have lunch, and said that you wouldn't do that today. Well, I guess I would. I mean, I, I, I have been very fortunate. We've got a couple of um, really amazing pilots started because I reached out to CEOs through LinkedIn and said, you know, I'd really just like to chat, and I've got an idea. Um, and I, you know, all they can do is say no. So reach out to anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm probably braver now, uh, back when I was 22, I was dumb, I guess. I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> um, but now I think that, you know, everybody has a story to tell. Yeah. Um, and 
if they can't fit you in, okay. Um, but you know, give it your all. So your first business, the catalog business, were you solo founder at that point in time? I was not. Okay. I ended up being solo founder. The board kind of um, moved me into that position. Yes. Uh, and uh, so it was, it, it was a co-founder, but it was, I, it was pretty clear uh, that I was the lead. Yes. Um, just ended up that way. Whereas this one is definitively co-founder, the two of you from, yeah, yeah. And how do you make that work? Um, you know what? People ask us that all the time. When they ask Julie, she always says, you know, at the end of the day, the final decision is Donna's um, as CEO. But really, I have such faith in the people I work with that it if the final decision on certain things with you know advertising it's not mine it's Doug's right this final decision with some logistics is going to be Lana final money decisions you know Julie has a power of the no um I think if you have complete faith in people then it works um but I guess at the end of the day when a bullet's coming I have to stand up and take it yeah You've and that's just part of the role. That's right. And you've obviously had very good conversations with your team, though, to really be clear on those, you know, who's got the power of no and, and all those sorts of things as well. Um, it's interesting. I wanted to ask you, I've been um, spending some time with a wonderful founder here who's raised some really good um, funds, super successful early stages of the business and um, is is working herself to the bone pretty much. And when we were talking about, you know, why, 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 one of the things we finally got to was a perspective on, well, that's just what a successful tech founder does. You know, I, I have to do that. I have to have my finger in every pie and, and do all these sorts of things. And yet what I really love is the kind of deep thinking time to be thinking about how I improve the product and, and all those sorts of things. Have you felt that you know does that resonate at all with you that conversation yes um you know i think that it, it's the the farther along you get the more confidence you have um that okay i can't have my finger in every pie um and so i surrounded myself with people who make the right decisions and understand the vision um but you know if a founder is looking to start a company because they just want to have more uh, control over their own personal time, think again. <laughs> I mean, it is not nine to five. It's just not. Um, and yes, there needs to be balance, but balance is not a, a decision you make every month. It's a minute by minute decision. Mm. And it is some days are better than others. Um, and you decide that, okay, I'm working till midnight and I just have to get it done and something else gives. Or other days you have your team say, okay, you need to walk out the door. You know, you need to go breathe. Um, but it, it is, it is hard. I mean, but it is, if you love your product and you love the bigger picture, I mean, I will tell you, Julie and I talk about the idea of making gardening accessible 
to everyone. Um, and gardening grows gratitude and gratitude can change the world. Mm. So if you really, if you believe in your vision, um, then the extra work most days is okay. And when it's a crazy, crazy stressful day, you know, diet Coke and chocolate come in handy. I mean, you got to have a moment and then you regroup, but it's hard. And so, you know, I meet a lot of founders who are working round the clock and you know what, if they're managing their energy and keeping their priorities and their focus, that's okay. Cause that's what you do. Mm. You can start to have better balance and, you know, take three weeks off to kind of regroup when you're already successful, but when you're climbing the mountain, you can't, you can't do that. Mm. Are you climbing the mountain or are you at the successful stage yet? We're climbing the mountain every day. We know we have a great idea. We know the product works. Um, we know our timing is right, um, but we're absolutely still climbing the mountain. And will you be out here anytime soon? You know what? I hope we will be, actually. Um, we have had, oh, at least 50 um, online request to ship to Australia. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, one of my heroes from a, a visual editorial standpoint is Donna Hay. Yeah. Um, love everything about her, um, from her color palette to her fonts to her, the paper she uses in her print magazines. So, yeah, I'd love to go there. <laughs> I've got a lot of Donna Hay cookbooks in my kitchen. So, oh, me too. Yeah, so I hear you. So, okay, so I just would love to um, now just think about imposter syndrome. And, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about some of the sort of conscious and unconscious barriers that maybe get in the way of women. I think imposter syndrome is, is not specific to females at all. But have there been points in your career where you've kind of felt that way? Every day. Okay. That is the truth. I mean, it is, how can it be, you know, even to do a podcast, why would they want to talk to me? I mean, what I, you know, I'm just a mom who's working hard. I mean, like, you know, you, you, why am I in this data meetings? Uh, Doug and I had an opportunity to sit in a conference with the Mayo Clinic and it was like, why are we here? I mean, holy cow. Uh, and you start to think somebody's going to find out I don't know how to do something. Oh my gosh, it is real. I, I think every good leader is humble and recognizes that, okay, some days you feel like you've got it under control and other days you're having to give an answer and you're just hoping for the best. I think COVID, the pandemic globally brought that to the surface. Every leader um, was trying to figure out, am I making the right decision for my team, first of all, for the customers and for the greater world? Mm -hmm. um, and Everybody was second guessing themselves. Do I bring people back? Do I not? I mean, I can't imagine even the wildly successful CEOs of airlines were probably thinking, should I fly? Should I not? I mean, you know, somebody smarter and younger and more, you know, with more experience might make better decisions. And you just have to kind of have faith. Um, but imposter syndrome is real. And so I kind of embrace it. Um, and I have mentors uh, and people 
in my world that I go to who are not um, always lovely with responses. I mean, my husband being one of them, if I'm having a moment, he's like, buck up <laughs> and hear the facts and tell me again what you're thinking. I mean, so, um, you know, you, you just have to be vulnerable, I think, and, and know that, that everybody has them every day. What's your superpower as a founder? Um, you mentioned that you were going to ask this, and I actually had to ask a couple people Good. because of what is what is my superpower? Because I don't think people recognize if it's who you are, you don't know it's a superpower. Um, and I would say resilience, mm-hmm. um, energy, and persistence. Uh, and I get to have a reminder of that with Jillian every day. I mean, I'm. I get to witness visually somebody who is beating every odd. Um, And I think, you know, having faith that no matter what, you're going to get through it. Um, And you don't win anything without taking a risk. You just don't. So, you know, take calculated risks and just push go. And, you know, I I guess um, Scott would say my superpower is to never give up. Uh, And I think that that's... I think that's probably true. I wonder why, um, and you mentioned your daughter Gillian again, and you mentioned that, you know, when when she was first born and um, and you heard that, you know, she might not live past five, and you questioned whether you were the right person to do this. Given those traits that you have and, you know, your superpowers, you were probably always exactly the right person to, to do this, you know, to have this wonderful experience. I hope so. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that any founder has to draw from real life. Uh, otherwise, uh, they're not going to be in touch with the real consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that real life for me has not always just been smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the joys are real. Uh, and we celebrate the joys. Um and you learn to, Jillian has seizures and, you know, people will come over and I'm like, oh, it's a little seizure. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of just go with the flow. Oh, this is not, it's okay. We're going to make it through. Um, and I think that that's, you have to have a pers- perspective of what you're, what you're growing. Um, and the truth is gardening helps give you that. It helps give you a growth mindset. It lets you witness, I mean, you know, if a snowstorm comes unexpectedly and you've got a great garden of basil, well, when you grow with us, you get a weather alert. But if you've got this great big garden, it's like nature happens. So life happens. Take it in stride and learn from it and then move on. I even go there. So. Um, how has gender impacted on your journey? You know, we spoke about the funding side of things earlier. Do you feel like that's impacted on your journey? Um, you know what? I've thought a lot about that. Um, and I think that maybe, um, maybe if I um, came from a tech space, you know, had I been one of the early founders with Salesforce, or a Google wouldn't impact me at all. Yes. Um, uh, I think that 
you know, retail sometimes does not get credit um, as understanding data and consumer trends and product market fit. Um, but we all shop. Uh, and so I think that retail experience is helpful. Um, yet gender, you know, I don't, I don't want somebody to invest in Gardenuity because I'm a woman. I want them to invest in this company because it's a smart company with great margin and great growth opportunities. Um, and I think that, you know, gender, maybe, I mean, maybe when I walk in, the first thing they think is, oh, she's old. <laughs> you know, and, and so you got to embrace it, right? I mean, when we're talking to people who are, you know, the gatekeepers for big VCs and they're 25 and this is their first job, they might not get it, right? And that's okay. Um, because I know they're going to get a harvest when they grow from us and have a great experience. And down the road, they'll be able to say, I met her yes. um, and I met this team and that's okay. Perfected your pitch? As I what? Affected your pitch? I think I need to go to speed dating. I think so. I mean, I, you know what we've got, it, it, they change everybody you're talking to. You know, if we're talking to a group that really understands and embraces wellness. It might be a little bit different. We always talk about the technology and the technology we're building. Um, but most importantly, we talk about the feelings that you get when you garden. And that's one thing that's come out of COVID. I mean, I think people are comfortable talking about mental health mm -hmm. and it is something that corporations are embracing uh, and they need to continue to embrace. And it's a lot easier now to raise your hand for help. And I think that's why we have the opportunity to work with companies like Google and Salesforce and Uber and because they have embraced mental health for all of their employees and we are a conduit and a tool for them to bring another um, way to, you know, bring uh, mental health to their, to their team. Donna, um, you know, there's, there's um, some people who believe entrepreneurs are born, not made. I just wonder what your thoughts are because you've operated successfully in both the executive space and also as a founder. Do you have thoughts on that? No one has ever asked me that. Um, I think that experiences, you know, there's a fork in a road and there's a fork in a road every day, right? It's which way you go and how you look at it. If you look at it this way and say, I want it safe. I want to know I'm going to be, get a paycheck. And if the bullet comes, it's not on me. Or I think I've got an idea that can change the world. I'm going to take that chance and I'm going to have naysayers, but I'm going to go. Then you're an entrepreneur. But I think it, it if I was 25 right now, I might have the heart of an entrepreneur, maybe at 30 when I had two little kids um, and less cushion financially, maybe I wasn't ready. Yes. So I think it changes at different stages in your life. Mm. Mm. Um, fascinating. 
um, in terms of, you know, just the people that I'm talking to and, and you know, some perspectives on that. Donna, the What's question... What's your normal answer? What do most people say? That you're born? Or... No, no. Um, I mean, so some of the conversations are coming out that um, maybe there's naturally a higher propensity towards risk. So, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're more comfortable operating in that risk space, which is kind of what you've just said as well, right? So... Yep. In your 30s with less financial uh, cushioning and things like that, you're less prepared to maybe take some of that risk. Um, so I think there's definitely a risk profile there. Um, but uh, no, some people have just spoken about it in terms of opportunity. Um, you know, people sometimes don't always see the opportunity there. Um, and I wonder whether there's been a gender lens on some of that. So, you know, it's it's been fascinating. Yeah. That is interesting when you look back on your life. I mean, you just made me think, so I competitively skated. I skated for 12 years and I was, you know, I would land a single axle and the next day attempt to double because I didn't care if I fell. Yes. Maybe I did have a propensity for risk and didn't know it. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Um, I, I would definitely think you would. Uh, so, yeah. you know, just listening to so many of those stories as you've gone through. And I can't tell you how much I love, and it was today was the first time I heard that, um, the plaque that your mum put up as you moved around. Well, and I will tell you, I've changed it to we have one in our house. Instead of bloom where you were planted, ours says choose to bloom because life is a choice. And you can you have to choose gratitude. You have to choose to be uh, a participant, a participatory in life. So choose to bloom. Don't just bloom. Choose to bloom. That's fantastic. You have you always had a big network? Have you have you worked actively at having a big network? Um, not like I should have. I get so busy, and you know, being a mom too. Um, you know, I think when you have a baby, you push the baby out and the guilt comes in and you're like, okay, I need to go to this activity, this event, but my kids need help with homework. Yes. Uh, and I haven't been home in two days. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, networking comes at different stages of your life. Um, but the people that I know, I know well, and I have a, a beautiful, um, group of mentors and advisors that I see and talk to all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them I have been you know, known for 20 years and others I've only known for two or three years. So the final question I ask of everybody, Donna, is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like? And do you think it needs to change? Um, no, I, I actually, I think um, it's a willingness to just push go and to listen and to be humble. Um, it's a willingness to take a risk. You know, what does brave mean? You know, that's a question that I think is something that's kind of fun to ponder. Um, and I can't help but think of the movie Brave. Uh, my daughter, my daughter's favorite Disney movie. I think sometimes you just have to um, be brave every day. What and does it mean to you? What does brave mean to you? Fearless and faithful. 
I mean, I'm going to step off because uh, I'm going to do what's right for the team and for the investors. Um, and I have great faith that the data's right. The team's, you know, made the right decision for us to go in a certain direction. Um, so brave means for me, you know, if a bullet's coming, that's okay. I'm going to take a risk. Mm. Been an absolute pleasure to get a chance to talk with you. And I'm so, so thrilled to have your voice join as part of the conversation, Donna. Um, and uh, I'll have my eye out for sort of a, a Donna Hay style gardenuity. Uh, Please do. <laughs> if you can arrange an introduction, I would love to meet her. Okay. Wow. Let me get on it. Let me Amazing. get on it for you. Uh, brilliant, <laughs> Thank Donna. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Okay. If the conversation's resonating with you and it's starting some questions around you and your future and your next step, come and join us. Come and join the conversation at bravefeminineleadership.com. We would love to meet you.